and um, have some time with the Lord this morning. And then, um, did everybody get one of these church directory information uh, forms to fill out? Anybody not get one of these yet from a couple weeks ago? Um, if you're willing to fill these out and let us uh, have your information, uh, we don't ask for your social security number, I don't think. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to put out a new church directory. Brother Keith, would you mind taking this back to Miss Cordia, if you do, if you don't mind? She needs one. And if we can do that, that'll help. Uh, is there anybody else that needed one? I think I got most of the others this morning. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I'm sorry, if you'll turn those in to the offering box in the back, that way uh, we'll get it in the right place where it needs to go, and uh, we won't lose them. And uh, try to make it as legible as you can. Uh, I think last time we had a couple typos on phone numbers and things because we couldn't read the writing. So uh, if your handwriting is really bad or you don't or you don't think others can read it, maybe ask somebody else to help you with it and write it for you. Um, or type it or whatever you gotta do. So, uh, but anyway, help us with that if you would. We'd like to get a new church directory out. We've had a number of folks come and go, and so we want to make sure we have an updated one. And uh, looking forward to that. All right, uh, prayer request, Brother Keith. The other Brother Keith there. Yes, a lot of the folks with the coronavirus and uh, that are sick continue to pray for them. And uh, Miss Jennifer, do you have a request also? Your sister, okay. Your nephew's sick, running a fever today, so pray for that. All right. Uh, praise the Lord. Jonathan and I are feeling a lot better and from last Sunday. Uh, he, his fever broke Sunday, last Sunday night, and felt much better Monday. He's still got a little bit of a cough, but uh, praise the Lord, he's feeling a lot better now. So, Brother Ron? Okay. Sure. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. So pray for this uh, family and also the Seals family. Is that right? I got that right. And uh, I I don't know as much about that situation. Somebody want to give us an update on what's happening there, or do we have any information on funeral arrangements or anything? Yes, sir, brother Harold. Okay. Okay. All right. So pray for the Seals family. Um, these are folks that were at Beacon for a while, and uh, some of our folks here knew him. Um, and he had a seizure. Was it Friday or, th- or yesterday? Yesterday, uh, and passed away in early 60s ish, I guess, somewhere in there. So fairly young. So pray for Mrs. Seals. Uh, rather unexpected, so uh, pray for that. Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Miss June's children and their families. All right. Yes, ma'am. Miss Cordia. Okay. You want to pray for Miss Cordia today? All right, her surgery. Okay, and Aunt. 
And I, I didn't hear that. On the 23rd, you've got to go in for surgery again? Okay, so pray for that. And uh, we saw her at the nursing home Thursday and knew she was going into the doctor. And so uh, sounds like they're going to have to do some more surgery there. So pray for that. And certainly not, uh, not anything to look forward to. But pray that God will bless there. All right. Miss Sandy, do you have a prayer request? Yes. Miss. Okay. Mike Tull? Yes. Uh huh. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Yes. Absolutely. We'll pray for that. And, um,. Pray for Brother Mike Tall if you didn't hear that. Also for uh, Darlene Stockburger in the homegoing of Brother Stockburger last week. And uh, we do have her address uh, on the board back there if you'd like to send a card to her uh, or a note or go by and visit with her. I'm sure she would appreciate that. I talked to Miss Joanne Clark this week, and she's really having a difficult time, but uh, her, her family's still staying with her at this point. And so uh, she's just taking it a day at a time. And so pray for her, if you will, and that God will bless there. All right. Anything else? Brother Lee, your wife got you in the splash zone this morning. So, right, right down front. But uh, anyway, good to have uh, folks sitting up front. Yes, ma'am. Miss Pammy. Pray for Joanne. And Larry, okay. Joanne and Larry. All right, so we'll pray for them. And anything else? I'll, yes, ma'am. Go ahead, Miss Kim. Yes, Bob Schwabert. Continue to pray for him. He is home. Um, talked to Tim the other day and finally got a hold of him. But uh, continue to pray for Brother Bob. Uh, they've given him two weeks to two months, the doctor said, but. Um, you never know. God, God's the one that controls that. Uh, uh, they gave Brother Randy uh, six months, and here he is nine years later almost still going. Uh, they gave Brother Larry six months, and two weeks later he was gone. And so uh, we got to understand that while the doctors give their best uh, information, that it's in God's hands. Uh, I do know this. Brother Bob's ready to go home, and he pray, he's praying that way. And so... Uh, our prayers for him probably at this point ought to be for God's will to be done um, in, in that. Uh, I know he's very concerned about his boys, and so pray for that situation, Tim and Roger, and uh, that they would get back in church and serving the Lord and doing what's right. And uh, so pray for them if you would. All right? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer then. Oh, hang on, Miss Carol? Yes, ma'am, go ahead. That everybody will have a good week this week? All right. Okay. All right. So pray for that. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful today for the privilege to come to you in prayer to know that you hear us and answer prayer. And Lord, what a joy it is to our hearts to be able to come to you knowing that you already know our needs and you already know the outcome. And how much easier it is for us to put our faith and our trust in uh, the fact that you have our best interests at heart that whatever the answer and the outcome to these prayers will be, will be for our good and for Your glory. And we rejoice in that. But Lord, our hearts are heavy. There are people that we love and we care about 
are concerned for, and there are some this week that are hurting, that have lost family members and loved ones, and uh, we pray that you would bring comfort there. And uh, Lord, I know if it was my family, I'd want folks praying, and I'd want folks coming along and letting me know that they care about me. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we reach out to these folks to share uh, our love and compassion with them and the concern for them. Lord, I pray that you give comfort there uh, where it's needed and grace where it's needed. And then others that are sick, many that uh, have been dealing with physical ailments, and I pray that you would touch their bodies. We think of Brother Bob this morning especially, and uh, that you would bless there and uh, give grace to the family during this time. We pray for his boys, Tim and Roger, and the families involved, and the grandkids, and Lord, all the folks that Brother Bob is so concerned and burdened for. And Lord, we do pray that you would give him grace as he's longing to go home, and I pray that you would have your will in that way in that matter. Uh, others that uh, are in need of uh, some decisions they're making. I know of several situations this week where uh, there are some family matters and things that are uh, needing your guidance and your wisdom, your direction. I pray that you'd give grace there and your wisdom and lead and direct and the, the right choices would be made. And then, Father, we do pray that you would empower us and strengthen us for the day today, that you would give your aid and your comfort, that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in the preaching, and for the next few moments that we could lay aside the burdens and the stresses of this world and have your peace of heart and mind as we look into your Word, that there would be nothing that would distract us or to get our hearts to depart from you. And I pray that you would help us to be yielded and sensitive to the truth that we find from your Word today that we would put it into our lives and take heed to it. And then, Father, that we would honor and glorify you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter number 33 this morning. And uh, I don't know about you all, I have enjoyed studying the life of Jacob. There is, there is so much. And isn't it amazing how rich God's Word is? Uh, I was talking with somebody a week or so ago. And it's amazing to me, I've read Scripture since I can remember how, you know, being able to read almost, uh, growing up in a, in a preacher's home. And it's amazing to me, here I am 49 years later, uh, and there are still things that I come across in God's Word. You'd think after some, so many years of reading that you'd exhaust it, and a lot of books you do. But aren't you glad the Bible's not like that? Uh, there are so many nuggets of things that are found in its pages and inexhaustible. And uh, certainly uh, I enjoy being able to stumble on and find things that I've never seen before in Scripture. And uh, looking forward to some uh, time as we study this together. Let's start reading uh, in verse number uh, 1. We'll read down probably to um, around verse number 11 or so, maybe somewhere toward the middle of the chapter. <coughs> And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, and he fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. 
And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Then the handmaids came near, and they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph uh, near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves and he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, uh, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee because God hath dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. And he urged him and he took it. I uh, will stop reading there for a few moments, but I, I want us to focus in on verse number 11 this morning if we can. Jacob certainly is, has uh, grown, hasn't he, uh, from the first time we've seen him. was the trickster. He was the prankster. He was the one always trying to find a way to cheat people. And uh, he was a man who was not uh, one of, of character. He certainly had no character about him. He did not take responsibility. Boy, we live in a day like that, don't we? where he doesn't, didn't take responsibility in two major things in his life that illustrate that so vividly is uh, when, uh, when he had tricked Esau out of the blessing and had deceived his own father. Uh, his, his response was to flee. He didn't deal with the problem at hand. Uh, the next time Laban's out, uh, he's been 16 years with his father-in-law and Laban's out in the field tending the sheep, and Jacob packs up his family and leaves under cover of dark and heads out and flees from his father-in-law and gets almost all the way to Canaan before his father-in-law catches up to him. And so understanding the, the background, and we, we don't have to rehash all of what we've taught in the past about Jacob's character, but he is a work in progress, isn't he? Uh, two times now he's come and uh, been face to face with God and, and had time where God has influenced his life and caused him to become more of what he used to be. And by the way, I will say this, that any time we come into God's presence, we leave a changed person. And I think it ought to be something that daily, as we come to his presence, we seek for him to change us, to make us and to draw us more to what we ought to be. And I think sometimes we get in the habit or in the pro, uh, the the, uh, uh, the procedures of going through the motions of having a walk with God. But I believe that every time we come to the time we're going to spend in prayer and time in His Word with Him, that we ought to come with anticipation that God's going to do something in my life today. God's going to change me. God's going to draw me closer to Him. God's going to point something out. And I feel like so often we fail in our walk with God in that we don't expect things when we come to Him. We're not expecting Him to do a change. And then we find in verse chapter number 32 that something very drastic happens to Jacob. 
two things happen in verse chapter number 32 that I believe are very, very significant and allow Jacob to get to the place that we find him in verse number 11 of chapter 33. And I would say this, I don't know that there would have been a chapter 33 the way that we read it today had there not been a chapter 32. <coughs> we find that in chapter 32, Jacob comes face to face with God. He wrestles with him, and by the way, uh, he ends up with a limp for the rest of his life because of his wrestling with God. But the second thing is, he comes face to face with his own character, doesn't he? For the first time, he's honest with God and he's honest with himself, and instead of trying to portray himself as something that he's not, he just simply says when God asks him, what is thy name, God knew what Jacob's name was, didn't he? He was trying to get Jacob to come face to face with the reality of his own character. To realize that he was the trickster. He was the one that had such a lack of character. And then we come to chapter 32, uh, 33, I'm sorry. And we get to verse number 11. And when we read verse number 11, it, it just doesn't seem like the Jacob we've known. The one that we've read about so far. Something has happened here. And he comes to this place where he's now going to have to face one of the problems of his life. This is one of the first times that he is confronting the problem. And by the way, <coughs> we live in a day where we don't like to confront our problems, do we? It's amazing how many times when a problem comes, it's easier just to walk away from it and not deal with it. Uh, we don't like the confrontation. We don't like the conflict. But can I tell you this, that when there are problems and issues that need to be dealt with in our lives before we can grow more spiritually, we cannot leave them undone, but they must be dealt with and they must be confronted. I don't think ever, ever in a Christian's life we should become so content with where we're at. Because the truth is, and I heard a preacher say it this way one time, if we're going to change the future of our life, then we have to disturb the present. There's got to be something that changes inside of us. And uh, so I want us to look at some things here because for the first time now, Jacob is uh, having to deal with a problem. Now, the Jacob that we've known before this time, uh, how would he have dealt with his problems? Uh, we found two illustrations of how he dealt with, with two major problems, and that was he ran away from them, didn't he? He didn't deal with them at all. Uh, the other problems that were seemingly minor throughout his life and trying to do some things, he was very deceitful and dishonest in his character, wasn't he? In dealing with people. But when we find him in verse number 11, dealing with this particular problem of Esau, and understand, last time he saw Esau was over 20 years ago, or about 20 years earlier, and Esau said, I'm going to kill you. And uh, you remember in verse chapter 31, in the early part of chapter 32, he sends uh, some ambassadors, if you will, some, some uh, kind of uh, uh, fellows to go and kind of scope out and see uh, what Esau's thinking. And uh, they, he even tells them how to address him, doesn't he? He says, when you get there, tell him, call him my Lord. And, and when you refer to me, refer to me as, as his servant. And he even gave his servant the way he wanted him to address Esau. And Esau doesn't respond. And uh, doesn't that aggravate you when you're trying to, to work with somebody, deal with somebody, and they don't ever respond, you don't know what's going on in their mind, in their heart? And Jacob is left to wonder. And uh, the man comes back and he tells Jacob, he says, Esau's coming and he's coming with 400 men. Not about you, but if I'm Jacob, I'm getting a little nervous about this time. He's coming with 400 men, that's easy enough to wipe me out and, and, and do some hurt and harm to me. 
Now, we get to chapter 33, and it's interesting to me that, once again, the issue of Esau coming with 400 men is mentioned again. Jacob now deals with this issue, this problem of Esau. But he does it in verse number 11. I want you to notice he does it graciously. And he deals with the problem with grace. I think one of the great areas of my life, and the truth be told, if we look into our hearts individually, I think all of us could be in agreement that it is not natural, it is not the human inclination to be gracious. To deal with somebody in a way that they do not deserve. They've not earned our respect, but we give it anyway. They've not earned our forgiveness, but we give it anyway. They've not earned our kindness, but we give it anyway. I don't know about you, but that's that's not our human nature, is it? You ever get in a position where you feel the blood kind of rising, the veins starting to swell up in the neck? You're biting your tongue as hard as you can bite it, and it's all you can do to keep from giving that person what he deserves or she deserves. And it is not human nature to deal graciously. But Jacob comes, and he deals graciously with Esau, and Esau deals graciously with Jacob. And I found this over the years, that when you deal graciously with somebody, it, it tends to reap grace, doesn't it? There's almost like there's principles of Scripture that lend itself to that, doesn't it? Uh, maybe something along the lines of a soft answer turneth away wrath, doesn't it? Could we say that's grace, reaping grace? I believe so. And so he deals graciously with Esau, and I think there are, there are some things that we find in this chapter that characterize dealing with grace with someone. And so if you, I don't know how many of you take notes or if you want to take notes or write some of these things down. Uh, praise the Lord, we do have our new computer and our video back here and it is streaming away hopefully this morning. Right, Jonathan? Thumbs up. It is streaming away. And uh, there's some instructions in the uh, bulletin on how to uh, access that down the road. But uh, if you take notes, some of you might want to write these things down. But there are some things that we find about Jacob in chapter 33 that I believe are what allows him to deal or how he was able to deal graciously. And if I'm going to deal graciously with someone, I want these things to be apparent in my life. Uh, I want you to notice, first of all, that he took responsibility for his actions. In order for us to deal graciously with someone, we must first admit that we did something wrong. That's a hard one, isn't it? That's the one we don't like. Taking responsibility. Up until this point, uh, Jacob has tried to make people think he was something that he was not. He's tried to build himself up. Even when he sent uh, his servants ahead to Esau, he's trying to tell Esau all these things that he really was not. But he's had a meeting with God in chapter 32. He came face to face with God and he came face to face with his own character and there was no sense in any kind of pretense or any kind of uh, trying to put on airs with Esau. He, he just said, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take responsibility. I'm not the same person I used to be. I, I will take responsibility for my actions and what, whatever happens will happen. Look with me if you will in verse number 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, 
Esau came, and with him four hundred men, and he divided the children unto Leah, and unto Rachel, and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. Notice verse number three. And he passed over, what's the next two words here? Before them. Now, I don't know this to be a fact, because we don't have the record of what would have happened otherwise. But I personally tend to think that had he not met with God in chapter 32, and had he not confronted his own lack of character, I think Jacob would have been in the back with Rachel and Joseph. But he goes out and he goes before all of them. And it tells me this, that whatever was going to happen between Esau and Jacob, he was no longer going to put people out front so that if they got hurt by Esau, he and the rest of them could escape. He now passes over before them. He takes responsibility. These people were not the ones that did Esau wrong. If there's going to be any confrontation, let it be between me and Esau first. Can I tell you this, that we will never be able to deal graciously with someone if we don't learn to take responsibility for our conduct. It's got to be something that we not only do in our lives, but something that we teach and we train in our families. I'm amazed at how many times husbands and wives, when they don't even realize it, their children are watching as they don't even deal graciously one with the other. Uh, It's amazing how quickly children, and somebody said it this way, children will catch far more by your conduct than you will ever teach them. They're going to become... When I was was a a young father and my girls were born, uh, they would always like to go with Dad here and there in different places and... They developed uh, different things. They, they talked the way I talked. They uh, did things. And it wasn't unusual for somebody to say, boy, you look just like your dad or you act just like your dad. We had a family in our church, the Reynolds family, and Brother Wendell Reynolds, a dear friend of mine, was on staff for many years. He had uh, three boys. And uh, he worked on uh, maintenance for us, and he carried a key, key ring. You know how a church is, a big campus, had, had one of those key rings that had probably 25, 30 keys on it. And rather than carry it in his pocket, he had a little clip on his on his belt, and uh, he kept those keys there. And they'd jingle as he walked and everything. And all three of those boys, as they got up to be about five or six years old, came to church. Every one of them, as they got older, uh, at a certain age, they got their own little belt clip with two or three keys that didn't fit anything, but they had to wear them to church because they wanted to look like and be like their dad. You know, it's amazing how many times young people will catch things that they see their parents doing. And one of the reasons we, we struggle later on in life and watch as the character of our, our children, our young people, are not what they ought to be is because we've not dealt graciously in our own homes. We've not dealt with our spouses. We've not dealt with our kids. They watch how we deal with others. We go to a, a restaurant. And maybe the service isn't all it should be. How do we respond? Well, I'm not leaving them a tip. Your kids see that. We don't know what's going on in that waitress's life. We don't know what's going on in that cook's life. Could be they are going through something that we would never want them to ever have to go through and all they need is just a little encouragement along the way. That, that car that cuts us off in traffic. Our kids are sitting in the back seat. 
And they watch how we respond. They pick it up. We need to learn to take responsibility for our actions. And if we'll learn to take responsibility for our actions, it will help us to be a little more careful how we react. If we have consciously in our minds that I'm going to have to give an answer for the way I'm responding here, it might change the way I'm responding. Can I say this? We ought to be concerned about what others see in our lives in this area, but more importantly, we need to be aware that God sees it. God sees it. Could we be in agreement this morning that you and I have been given far more grace than we ever deserved? Could we be in agreement on that? And when we do not have grace for others, I wonder how God views that. The first thing we find is Jacob was willing to take responsibility. For the first time that we can find here in Scripture, he takes responsibility. The second thing I want you to notice as we read on down, the Bible says, and he passed over, verse number 3, and he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. He had a spirit of humility. He had a spirit of humility. You ever notice this, that humility breeds humility? Uh, we find here a good illustration of a man who is leading his house well at this point. Because we find in verse number, uh, verse number six, then the handmaids came near, they and their children, and they what? They bowed themselves. And then in verse number uh, uh, 7, And Leah also with her children came, and what does it say? Bowed themselves. And Rachel, and they, Joseph near, came near Joseph and Rachel, and they what? Bowed themselves. To deal graciously with someone, we need to take responsibility for our actions, but can I say secondly, we need to have a spirit of humility. A spirit of humility. Uh, we joke around sometimes about humility, don't we? I, I used to. I have a staff man years ago that is a dear friend of mine. He and I grew up together, uh, literally as kids. And one of the great joys was being able to serve in ministry alongside him for a number of years. And um, he and I would joke around about this humility thing. And we joked about the book that we had written, The World's Ten Most Humble Men and How I Trained the Other Nine, you know. And uh, we get proud about our humility. We've got a sequel uh, that we were going to write on the road to humility and how I walked it. And, uh, you know, we joke and we laugh about humility, but the truth is it is a very serious problem, isn't it? We're pretty proud people. In fact, all of us have some ounce of pride. And In fact, I would go so far as to say this, and I firmly believe this, that every sin we commit has its root in pride without exception. <clears throat> a good definition of humility years ago I was listening trying to preach on this subject and I was listening to a fellow and he made this statement he said humility is not thinking less of yourself than you ought to nor is it thinking higher of yourself than you ought to it's simply not thinking of yourself and I thought boy what a great definition of humility 
one of the great problems that there faces in the Christian life is this idea of humility because the Bible teaches us that only by pride cometh contention. And if there was going to come contention between Jacob and Esau, it was only going to be because of pride. Jacob realized this and understood this, and he humbles himself and he bows himself seven times. He still refers to Esau as his Lord. He still considers himself the servant of Esau. At this point, Jacob has uh, wives and children, and he has great cattle, and God has certainly blessed him, and he's a man of uh, stature, a man of uh, great wealth. He was really somebody from a human point of view. He could have gone up to Esau and said, Boy, look at what all I've accomplished. And I'll tell you what, I'm all this and I'm all that, and these people rely on me, and I've got servants, and their servants have servants, and I've got cattle, and I've got sheep. and I, Boy, look at all this, Esau. But he doesn't do that. He comes to him and he bows himself to his brother. I'll tell you this, it's sometimes easier to bow yourself to people that you don't know than it is to bow yourself to your own family, your own friends. To come and say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I, I, was, I was not right in that area. He has a spirit of humility about him. Not only does he take responsibility, not only does he have humility about him, but we find as we get on down in verse number 8, verse number down through verse number 11, and he said... What meanest thou by this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And so Jacob here is saying, Esau, I'm asking for your grace. <laughs> we, uh, we use the word grace so carelessly sometimes. But understanding the full weight and the impact of the word, it is to have something given to me that I did not deserve. And Jacob comes to Esau and he says, I want to give these to you because I want to ask that you show me grace. I want you to show me. Esau, I know I deserve it. Whatever you can dish out with your 400 men that you've come with, I understand I deserve it, Esau. I'm asking for your grace. By the way, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could come to God with that kind of a spirit? To say, God, I know I've messed up. And I know that I don't deserve your forgiveness. And I certainly deserve anything that you want to do to punish me. I'm asking for your grace. You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, he said, deal bountifully. With thy servant, Lord. You know what the psalmist was saying? He was saying, Lord, don't deal with me out of my merit or what I deserve, but deal with me out of your bounty. Deal with me with your grace. He asked for the grace of Esau, and Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand, for therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God. And thou wast pleased with me. Oh, what a statement. 
Here's the guy that robbed him of his birthright. The one that robbed him of his blessing and then ran away. Asking for grace. Jacob said, I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God. And thou was pleased with me. Was there any reason at all for Esau to be pleased with Jacob? If I'm Esau and I'm coming to meet this guy who robbed me of all of these things, well, I'll tell you what, Brother Greg, they just did me wrong. You know, I'm not a big fan of Esau before in this life, that we knew of him before, but I'm, I'm thankful for this thing. That when he comes to Jacob, he illustrates the grace of God. Because Jacob didn't get what he deserved, did he? In fact, it was so much so that not only did Esau allow him to have his grace by not giving him what he deserved, or his mercy by not giving him what he deserved, the Bible says this, and Jacob felt like Esau was even pleased with him. Esau came and ran and threw himself on him and hugged his neck. Loved on him. Can I tell you this? You and I fail God an awful lot. But the Bible says if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And aren't you glad that we have a Father in Heaven that when we come to Him in humility and say, Lord, I have messed up. I need Your grace. The Bible says that He is well pleased with us. He prays for us. Brings joy to His heart when we come back. He says in verse number 11, Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Well, that doesn't sound like Jacob, does it? We find three things here that allow Jacob to deal graciously with the problem. He takes responsibility for his actions. He has a spirit of humility. And he finds sufficiency in God. He doesn't need vengeance. He doesn't need to run away anymore. God is enough. This is the first time we've seen this in Jacob, isn't it? Up until now, he's scheming. He's trying everything he can to get ahead and to get everything he can. He's a man who lacks character and he comes to that confrontation when he wrestles with God in chapter 32. And he's now at a place in his life where he says, God is all I need, Esau. He's given me His grace. And because I have enough. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could get to a place of contentment in our Christian life where God is sufficient? God is sufficient. We're not trying to find happiness somewhere else. We're not trying to find our, our, our uh, fulfillment and our satisfaction in life somewhere else. 
We simply cling to God and He's enough. <coughs> How do you deal graciously with someone? You've got to take responsibility for your actions. I believe you need to have humility of spirit. And I believe we've got to come to a place where God is all we need. God is all we need. We're not out to trick anybody else anymore. We're not trying to get uh, people to think of us higher than we are. God is all we need. His grace, Paul said, that he said that uh, he's speaking of God talking to him. Said, "My grace is sufficient for thee." That we would learn to find the sufficiency in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there are times, there are times that people take advantage of us. But if we are sufficient in Christ, it really doesn't matter, does it? We can deal with the situation graciously because God has given us His grace, and it is enough. We have enough. We don't need anything more. I hope this will help us as we go through life and dealing with problems. Jacob didn't know what was going to happen. He knew he had to confront the problem. If he had come in the way that Jacob, we we know Jacob to be early on in his life, I think the outcome would have been far different. Esau certainly had enough there to basically wipe him and his family out. But rather than come with trickster and deceit, trying to wrong Esau again, he comes to Esau with grace and deals graciously with him. So that we can learn to deal graciously with others. And I hope that will be help to us today. Alright? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll bless and use it. That we would learn that in order for us to be gracious, we must have these things that are characteristic of us. And we'll take a responsibility for our actions, that we'll have a spirit of humility, and that our sufficiency will be in you. I pray that you would help us to have a long-suffering spirit and a mindset of love and compassion for others. That we would learn to deal graciously with folks. Now bless the service to follow. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts, guide and direct us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.